Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, episode 41. Louise Saul and David Taylor. This is Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Welcome along uh, to our Wednesday show. I know that one or two people are still a little bit confused by the fact that we're still doing these Wednesday shows, but we're going to continue them uh, certainly up to the uh, the week, which would have been San Diego Comic Con. We have news about that on the way. Uh, we got into the Blue Mysteries watching already. Good afternoon, all. Those wet stuff falling for the sky. What new devilry is this? We had two blistering days of sunshine. We have apparently got a blistering day of sunshine tomorrow. Today, yeah, it's throwing it down. It's it's the world's upside down, man. The Matrix is glitching. It's just ridiculous. Um, but there we go. Um, we've got two great guests on the show, and I just want to dive straight in. I might as well very quickly introduce myself. Uh, if this is one of the first times you've seen what I do with this stream, um, my name is Len Sultana, and each and every week we talk about, or each and every show we talk about uh, comic cons, con culture, and all the pop culture. Uh, that you can experience at such shows, including comics, uh, which is why we've got ourselves a comic creator who, uh, for our first guest. And I'm going to do this one because he's got the lenticular thing going on. So we're going to go full <laughs> screen on it so we can actually see him on screen. Uh, we've got David Taylor who's joining us. Hello, David. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, where are you? And is it as wet for you as it is for me here in Yorkshire? Uh, so I'm up in the centre of Scotland, in Falkirk, and it, it was quite sunny earlier, just grey and depressing, which is Scotland. So uh, <laughs> I, have, I, I closed the blinds so I could actually be frontlit, uh, so I guess I'll find out after, but uh, it was horrible last night, it was alright most of the day, but it's, you know, it's moderate, it's moderate, let's go with that. Okay, Can, okay, for Scotland... It's balmy. We'll go it's with it. We'll this, go is, this is summer. This is summer for us right now. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, myself and David um, have been, uh, we've uh, communicated a lot on uh, Twitter. I follow David's work uh, a lot. Um, he's a great um, comics creator and self publisher. Uh, I think we'd best leave it to you uh, to give you an origin story. Um, basically, who is David Taylor and um, up to your first kind of introduction to comics uh, yeah give us uh, give us your story sir uh yeah so i'm a i'm a former art student who uh realized i didn't like studying art didn't really get much out of it but i, I love the art bit and uh then i kind of lost my way for a, a long while um with making things i got into music uh i did a lot of writing copywriting predominantly and then when i was uh, my late 20s um darwin cook's adaptation of the of the parker novel the hunter came out and it just blew my mind i'd never seen anything uh, like that in a comic there was and I just I suddenly wanted to make comics again and I I went and started buying myself equipment and it turned out I was terrible after years away um but I kept working at it um and then I I released uh, I sort of did a, a couple of short things that never worked out and then I released uh, a really a really ambitious book called Decades that was my first thing self-published it was kind of a, a crime story and it was the first thing I finished it was the first thing I put out and from then on, it's it's really just been nonstop, um, just trying to keep myself progressing, keep moving. Um, in terms of the things I'm into, it's crime fiction, it's genre fiction, 
Uh, got a lot of um, influence you'd expect to see in that. Frank Miller, Darwin Cook, John Romita Jr., Howard Chaikin. Um, you can see a lot of their stuff. And also the age I am, I'm nearly 40. So unsurprisingly, a lot of those guys are are, are quite resonant to me. But um, so, yeah, so that's that's kind of how I got to making comics in the shortest way ever. Um, yeah. And then last year, I released a book called The Grave, which was my first attempt at crowdfunding. And, and I've just been building from there since. I mean, when I've read your books, uh, there's a real, I mean, you can definitely see those uh, influences, especially Declan's, uh, that real sense of uh, character and uh, some real grit underneath um, the, the, the texture to what you're, you're putting into the books. Um, in terms of what you were reading when you were growing up, I mean, what was your kind of uh, comics evolution as it was? I mean, here in the UK, it's your usual Dandy Beano, um, Eagle, um, 2080 warrior blah, blah, blah. and it just you yeah. you're just kind of the, the, the standard path i mean what was what was your uh, reading when you were growing up uh the beano was a big part of it um and then when i was a bit older and i wasn't that much older be like seven or eight um they started reprinting the eagle which was like one of the classic british boys comics and um and i bought it because my my mother told me about who that was dan deer didn't know who dan deer was but i bought it but in that there was um, John Wagner, Alan Grant, and I can't remember the artist's name off the top of my head. They did a, a series of stories. It was in, I think it was Scream originally. Uh, it was yeah. called The 13th Floor. Yeah. And and as a kid reading this, it was just like mind-blowingly cool of this, you know, sentient AI in a building that was taking revenge on people that hurt the residents. And I remember saying to my mother, I was like, um, I said, is it okay to be addicted to a comic? <laughs> and, I remember, and I remember saying, oh, but there's worse things, son. There's worse things. You'll be fine. Um, turns out it wasn't fine because I still love them. Um, but I, I, I remember that. I still remember it. I, I bought a reprint years later. And it really stuck with me. But I went from there. I also remember seeing um, the Punisher Circle of Blood. So that they, in the UK, they reprinted them in, you know, kind of two-part volumes. And I remember buying that. And Mike Zek's art in that was just astounding. And yeah. it was so visceral. Um, and that really stuck with me. I'd never seen a comic that had ultra-violence in it either. So there was a lot of that stuff. I started reading 2000 AD when I was, or read it certainly when I was in my kind of early teens. I had a friend that had all the back issues. And so at my local library had like Judge Dredd kind of collections and things. Got really into that. Um, and it was probably about that time I had more pocket money. So I started going um, Forbidden Planet in Glasgow they had a back issue section so i got like a bunch of um frank miller daredevils nice. uh, and things like that so my I, I think i was quite fortunate my education was a lot of really good stuff um i didn't kind of go into i didn't start with the image comics of the 90s which i think would have made, given me a very different view of what <laughs> comics could be um nothing against them just maybe not for me um, when, when image first started uh, it was it's a di it was a different publisher than it was is today. Uh, let's oh, yeah, be fair. Absolutely, yeah. And you know what? And I, I've got I've got issue one of Spawn, you know, and I've got um, I've got that. I had a Spawn toy. I mean, I, I think Spawn is like a visual design is amazing. Sure, you know, it's uh, especially the way McFarland drew him early on. He looks awesome, and like Wildcats, you know, it's beautiful Jim Lee art, just not much of a story. Um, but when I was you know fourteen, it was pretty cool. You know, you're like, oh, that's really brilliant. But it never stuck with me the way a lot of the other stuff did. Um, and I think that's probably where I kind of get to. But yeah, so but a lot of those influences were just bouncing around my head all the time. And then when I was a bit later in my teens, it was Sin City was out. Um, and again, I hadn't seen anything like that. And even now, there's not really anything that looks like that book, that first Sin City book. Um, I, think, I think we've been really, I mean, for, I mean, 
I'm, I'm a little bit, I think I'm a little bit older than you. By a okay. smidge. Um, and I think we, I mean, we, we were spoiled uh, with the, the stuff we were reading when we were growing up. I mean, a, a, a comic which I, I don't mention enough when I talk about my influence, certainly, because I, like I say, I go and I talk Eagle 2080, uh, Warrior, um, and into um, kind of that sort of like method. But there's one comic uh, that I remember as well, which I got quite heavily into and almost addicted to, which was the um, Marvel UK printing of Hulk Weekly, which had mm. the pho photographic covers, uh, yes. but some really stunning artwork inside. Uh, I mean, they, they really poured sort of like blood onto the page. And I see very much, I and mean, you can tell that Al Ewing definitely read those, that era of uh, Hulk as well, that kind of, that real kind of, 1970s, uh, the Wandering Man kind of vibe, and there there is that real visceral sense of comics back then. Um, I mean, can you see with the, the rise of like um, Cy Spurrier and Kieran Gillen that there is that kind of sense of a generation of people that were brought up like ourselves on comics in that period that are now wanting to kind of tell those kind of stories? Definitely, um, I think. So every comics generation, if you look at the stuff that's kind of gone through, it's it's how it kind of amalgamates and you, you start seeing people pull from lots of different eras and then they rebuild it for their own. And in the same way that Frank Miller did that in the kind of the early 80s and through and like Chaikin as well, you know, Chaikin was another one that adopted lots of things from lots of disciplines and then made something new out of them. I think we're probably another kind of critical point for that. Image as a publisher right now, um, oh, thank you. Yes, Josie Ortiz. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, uh, so Image now, I think what you can see is that it's given a space for a lot of these creators to really show what they would do outside of traditional mainstream comics. And they're bringing together all those influences into completely different paths. But you're right. What you said earlier, we were spoiled. There was suddenly a, a complete a wash of stuff that you wouldn't have seen from a traditional big two. Maybe when Marvel had its epic imprint, you would see a bit of it. But, you know, you've got Sin City, you've got Hellboy, you've got Concrete, um, you've got Bone was kind of hitting you with a sentence. Bone, yeah. Yeah, so all that stuff is suddenly going around and it's getting an audience outside of traditional comics. Um, you know, my local bookstore where I grew up, they had Sin City, they had The Crow, they had, you know, Sandman, you know, and that, so I was picking stuff like that up to read, even just when I was in the shop. And so that, it has an influence, but you're right, you know, Kieran Gillen is a good example of something you can see is absorbed 2000 AD, the kind of grit of it, the attempts to revise and re-explore different concepts. Um, but he's also being educated by what was the mainstream. And then he brings it back through that filter. And it does, it makes for great stuff. You, and you mentioned Al Ewing as well. You know, Al Ewing stuff really does capture that. And his later 2000 AD work yeah. is all that love of the history, but he's bringing new things into it. Um, yeah, and I think that... I think that's a cyclical thing. There's been enough history in the last kind of couple of decades that people are starting to reflect on the image era of the original image era and say, actually, there's some new stuff we can say with what that was um, without abandoning all of it. And there's still some bad about it, but even that's quite charming in retrospect. You know? Yeah. 
Um, obviously, uh, we, listen, uh, before we really also kind of continue to dive into this, um, we are taking your questions, of course, everybody. If there's anybody that has any comments, anything that you want to uh, put to David, do let us know. I mean, we have been having some great guests with some very interesting backgrounds with lots of nerd stuff in the background uh, into the blue. Mr. Does note that uh, you win the nerd, no nerd background competition for this week. Uh, although, hang on, uh, hang on, hang on. Ah, you see, hang on. <laughs> You've got my Robocop print and my copy of the Eternaut. You see, there you go. I mean, so Lister Snake uh, said he turns the camera slightly and you see a hoarder's wet dream in the other corner of the room. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you absolutely get well, it. Uh, you've also got Toby who's jumping in and talking about the early spawn uh, stuff. Um, uh, McFarlane taking a lot from the way he drew Spider-Man, in his opinion. Um, and... Uh, but Solicitous uh, Meg, I feel that's like any great comic cr book creator, though it, it's what keeps you keep what works and discard what, what uh, falls flat. Absolutely. Uh, any other comments? Any other questions? Do dive in. Um, in terms of um, what you're doing, I mean, we were kind of talking just before we came on air that you are incredibly busy. You're doing stuff um, uh, for a daytime job as well. I mean, what can you tell us what your daytime job is? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I work in marketing and communications. So okay. I, I do creative stuff there so as well. A lot of stuff from work, from home. Lots of yeah. lots of Zoom calls. Are you keeping up with um, uh, keeping motivated to do your creating uh, for your comics? Um, and also, because I'm when I'm talking to a lot of creators throughout the course of the last two months. Uh, there's two things that's either happening. One is that they're just losing track of time, being stuck indoors, so the motivation is very difficult to kind of keep the engine going. Or they're just finding themselves really kind of like, okay, I can jump, I can do this, or I'm kickstarting a lot of this, and I'm the the the, the engine's almost going into overdrive. Which way has it been for you? Um, the first, because what is this like week ten of the lockdown in the UK? Exactly, yeah. Um, the first six weeks was a frenzy. Um, that's all I, I, I've always had kind of lots of stuff on and I, I try and keep myself busy generally. I think it's kind of a happier balance than sitting around without projects. Um, I finished a Kickstarter just in the middle of February. Um, right. And then, so then my, my, you know, I had some family things and people getting sick and stuff like that. Um, so out of that, I was just finishing a project and I wasn't really planning on getting in into a new big thing until maybe a little bit later in the year. I wanted to spend some time writing up and thinking through stories because I do the writing and the art myself. Um, so I was trying to give myself a bit of downtime and kind of rest up and properly kind of work through something. But then, you know, the lockdown happened and the choice was to sit around and feel overwhelmed by it and everything else that was going on. So I just got straight into to making stuff. Um, I've been working with an editor on my current book, Wild Nature, and um, well, yeah. So you, you see, you say that, and I'm just about to bring it up on screen. There you oh. go. <laughs> right, let's uh, let's uh, bring some uh, uh, pages of that. While you, you well, yeah, while you uh, carry on, carry on, sir. Yeah. So, um, so my my uh, my editor, you know, I was kind of sharing. So she's called uh, Claire Napier, and I was sharing kind of thoughts with her and kind of script ideas, and we. I just suddenly was sitting there thinking, well, I've got the script for the first couple of parts written and I'll just get to it. I'll just start working on them. And then I had, you know, the art done for the first couple of parts, which is maybe 18 pages of work. And I'd done that in like three weeks. And I was like, right, okay. So I'll just keep going, keep going, keep going. I kept writing, keep coming up with ideas. Uh, and then I did hit a bit of a wall maybe a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
the the case this is from part three which i'll be sharing uh, at least yeah. in june with everybody so that don't worry got... we're, we're, we're only going to show the first couple of pages oh, no, no, it's all right. <laughs> don't worry it's all right it's all right no it's, it's cool it's cool seeing it up on screen anyway uh, it's always bizarre when someone else was showing your stuff um but when i was kind of getting to that um that kind of burnout point i just thought well you know, these pages were quite difficult figuring out. There was a lot of stretch for me. There was a lot of kind of new ideas I was trying to come up with or test out. And I was really pushing the edge of my capabilities. Um, and I'm, I was really enjoying it, but it did get a bit exhausting. And then I thought, actually, that that's a signal for me to slow down a little bit, um, yeah. give myself a bit of a break um, and focus a bit on writing again as well. I find writing's like permanently restful because I can just let the ideas flow out on page. What, Whereas, what, what, is your, what is the favorite part of the process for yourself? Is it a case of getting that initial idea or is it uh, that section of kind of chipping away at the marble and finding the story beneath, which, which is kind of like the first, the, the bit that really kind of gets your, your juices running? The most exciting bit is when I solve something or I come up with the perfect, the perfect turn for a character or the perfect phrase that you know I've been struggling to find, or something that really captures the whole idea. When I started Wild Nature as an idea, I, I, I'm always trying to look for like a phrase or something that kind of sums up the whole story. So with the grave, it was damaged. People do damage, and when I sort of landed on that, I was like, right, that's what the story's about. And for Wild Nature, so I had one moment. It was the phrase "no disguises." So because the whole thing is about people wearing masks and well, you know, yeah, give, 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 give the elevator pitch, sir. Yeah, so Wild Nature is a sort of semi-futuristic dystopian um, kind of action thriller. It's imagining if it, they got rid of traditional sports and replaced them with televised death games. Um, and that's called the game's called Wild Nature. And the person who's the best at it is called Swan. That he decides that he doesn't want to be that anymore. He doesn't want to be only known for killing, and he quits. And then a couple of years later, um, it's people trying to pull him back in. And the middle is he's struggling to really confirm who he actually is as a person and where he belongs in the world. And if all people know you for is killing, maybe that's all you should be. And this is the struggle he goes through throughout the story. Um, so that's the uh, some of it's still coalescing for me because. I'm writing it part by part rather than trying to do the whole thing and get it all down. Um, all right. So always... I, I was, because I, I mean, you, you share, you share with me the third part um, and it does feel very cohesive all the way through. So I was wondering how much you've actually mapped out already. Um, yeah. Instantly. I love that panel. That was like one of the first <laughs> things, that was one of the first things I drew for it. And I, it's like pure Howard Sheik and American flag putting the, the, the font behind it like that. Um, or Kim, Kim Brisnack actually, to be technical. Um, so I've got, I've, I've got an outline for probably the first two thirds of the story. I know most of the key moments that are happening. Um, I'm always figuring out new scenes that will help me to explore a character or help me to show a thing that I think will add to the sense of the world and connect people to it and make it resonant. Um, big fan of the characters all having their own important internal lives and not just being um, there to move the plot forward. So that's kind of adding to a lot of it. And there's lots of little things that, that it's the most detailed world I've created in a story. Um, and I don't want to make the story all about dry, like delivering exposition about yeah. that world, but I still want it's it to always, bring it's always a, it's always a That's always a tough thing to do. Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm trying, when I've been reading it, the sort of uh, a touchstone that I went to 
um, was a 2000 AD strip, and it's the uh, the the ones with the uh, the the super fo- the, the future football. Uh, I'm trying to remember uh, the Harlem's Heroes. There you go, Harlem's Heroes. Yeah. There's definitely a, that because I mean, if you read that, I mean, the, the, it was a case of um, it was battling between some real visceral action, but also some really strong um, character sense, and I, I definitely see that in uh, Wild Nature. Well, no, that's, I mean, that's really nice to hear because obviously um, Dave Gibbons was the original artist in Harlem's Heroes and then uh, actually I had a stunning, I, I also I always forget names of people if I don't constantly <laughs> read the work, but this, the second volume of Harlem's Heroes is an, another incredible artist um, with a very different style to Dave Gibbons, but anyway, so, but it's funny you say Harlem Heroes because I didn't know it until Claire, my editor, had told me because I think it just, because it was so early in 2018's run. And so I read it on her recommendation. And then I was like, oh, I love this. Um, but there's bits of that. There's bits of um, uh, Rollerball, the Norman Jewison film. Yeah. And then there is, uh, there was, do you remember, was it called Star, Star Lord? Or there was like a, a British Digest comic in the oh, 80s no, and Star-Lord. 90s. Star Lord. Yeah. So I remember there was like a, it was basically a ripoff of The Running Man yeah. um, called, called Hero. And I probably still have it somewhere. And it was like, I love the art in those little books because they're all grimy and gritty and, you know, and cheap, really cheap kind of That print. was really um, very cheaply put together, that magazine. Yeah, yeah but I was loved it. it. DC Thompson? I think it was. Yeah, it's DC Thompson. Yeah, because yeah. it was the same as, as Commando. Yeah. So it was in the same stock. But um, yeah, but that, so that was another thing. And funnily enough, that influence, and I really wish I could find my copy of it. So <laughs> it's all those sorts of things. It's, you know, in 2008, it's, it's always been something I've loved. But it really came back as I started writing this through properly. The sense of humor I've started trying to bring into it, um, of being quite cynical but still having a bit of heart. You know, really like John Wagner always did so well. Um, it was never completely nasty, um, just quite nasty. Um, but yes, yeah, so all that all that stuff's in there. It's. I mean, it, the, even from the start, it's just really cool. Well, it's just, I mean, it's just a very strong story. Um, I mean, we've got a couple of comments and questions coming in uh, for uh, for yourself. I mean, we've got um, a solicitor of Smeg, and I think this is um, certainly tying into um, how the recent um, uh, chapter has gone together. Have you seen a change in your end products during quarantine? I love to write, and I found my stories have started to sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist is writing a manifesto in my head. I can imagine there's a lot of outside forces that are kind of pulling your attention and they are all coming through um, all yeah. of them so i mean the other thing with the dystopian i won't go into the full detail of it because it would it would bore everybody if i tried to explain it like this i think it'll be better in the story but i always had this idea of it's it's set in miami but it's a miami that has been ravaged by something when i i hadn't quite decided then and then covid19 happened and i was like right so look at the way america's dealing with this pandemic imagine that doesn't stop and imagine they never get better. So that informed the story. Um, and I started thinking about, well, what would that do? There would be riots. You know, eventually there'd be a point where there'd be riots and they devastate the downtown part of Miami, which is, you know, the most prosperous. And I thought, okay, so from there, what does that mean? First off, it means I don't have to draw everything to be quite so accurate and um, very important. And then the next thing is that um, it changes how people feel about themselves. And then you start asking other questions about identity and social identity and you end up with race and that was unintentional how that was developing but then all this stuff with black lives matter has kind of begun and so i've started being much more thoughtful about how do i deal with that because the main character is a black man um and i didn't 
I didn't start the story with that as a specific thing beyond I love Denzel Washington and I was always imagining if he was in the sort of genre movie I loved. Um, and then, but you've kind of, I end up with a bit of responsibility to start thinking about that stuff in more detail. Um, so, I, you know, I started wanting to bring that stuff in and speaking to lots of people who have that lived experience that I don't. Um, but you do also get into that crazy conspiracy theorist mindset of, what would be going on? How would you be treating people in the world? And I've got all these little insert pages that I'm going to start dropping through, probably when I get to the print version, hopefully next year. Um, and I can bring into them a lot of the kind of the social commentary and the satire of it. And that, you know, societies that any society that would have a televised death game as its core sports entertainment is going to have some issues about the value it places in human life. Yeah. So I think that's something that's worth exploring. And, you know, it comes from things like Robocop and how well he did that. And then naturally that was a massive influence, you know, taken from Judge Dredd, um, you know, and Ed Neumeyer's script. Of, of course that was, that's there. So I want to capture some of that stuff as well. So the Fair answer enough. is yes. I mean, certainly as well. I mean, reading that first uh, episode, uh, first issue of Wild Nature as well, um, it very much leans towards the best um, comics uh, that are released on social media and through crowdfunding. In it's a very visceral first issue. It smacks you and grabs your attention. in terms of actually putting uh, to do things on crowdfunding, why did crowdfunding become the next step to what you wanted to do to connect with your audience? Um, so I'm still relatively new at the whole comic yeah. thing, to be honest, because um, I think my first book was three, four years ago or something, yeah. and then I just kind of pushed myself as fast as I could to try and improve. Um, I knew I wanted to do something on Kickstarter because, in my mind, it's the the thing that makes comics so much fun, especially indie comics is that there's a community and the best thing about being a relatively small creator in terms of audience size is that you've got much more connection and the best way to do it, instead of just hoping you can go to conventions and printing up stuff in spec is make people involved in making it. Um, and there's a little bit of, you know, um, self value that you mm-hmm. want to put something out and then people are actually backing you to make it. And that was important as well for me. So it was a little bit of kind of personal drive. Um, and it wasn't because I did all the work myself, certainly on the grave, which is the one, the first one I crowdfunded. Um, my overheads were very low. So it was really just for printing. But I was like, well, you know, anything else I make will let me make the print better, but it will let me do more and it will let me make more comics. So the, the money I, I made extra, like on the grave, allowed me to cut a lot of the costs out when I did Her Prosperity six months later. So my target can be much lower and the extra money I made on that campaign will go into when I do the print for Wild Nature. And, um, and it's really amazing to be able to say back to people, you've helped me make all those books. It wasn't just one. You didn't just back the book, you backed me. And yeah. that's let me be a better career. And that, that appealed to me. Um, it's a very, um, a very kind of open-hearted way of, of creating is that I'm not just asking you to buy a book. I'm asking you to help me be a creator. Yeah. I mean, was so Wild Nature, was it completed before you um, launched the campaign? Because I, I find that the best campaigns are the ones where there's a, a product ready to go. Uh, it is about the uh, just getting it out there. Yeah, I, can, I wouldn't be comfortable um, putting something up for funding if I didn't know it was going to be done. Yeah. Um, so the grave, it was the grave was completely finished. I was just finishing off the print files. Um, Prosperity... I have to confess her prosperity. I 
I drew a final page um, the day before the campaign closed. Um, not because the book wasn't finished. I just suddenly was sitting there and I was just doodling. Um, I was, <laughs> I won't go there. It was a ridiculous thing that was going on anyway. But I was, I was up late and I was just sitting there. I was just sort of doodling. I was doodling. The character's called her because I'm unimaginative. Um, and her face. And I, I just, I was experimenting with different things and tones. And I was just like, oh, I love the expression on her face. And um, I can show you the page actually. Um, oh, I just love the expression, uh, which is that. Let's move it there. Yep. And so I thought, I think that's what I've been missing in, in this bit of the book. I need, that, I need that moment of her staring into the camera effectively about what's going on. And so I finished that, but that's the only time the, the grave was completely finished. The actual story was finished. I could have gone to print the next day. Um, it just makes me feel better. And it lets me really tell people what they're getting. Because um, I think that's like another responsibility of I'm asking for someone to give me their money to help me make something. I absolutely owe them the respect that the thing is going to happen. And for me, I just wouldn't feel comfortable not knowing it was done. That makes sense. Uh, well, I mean, we'll kind of um, wrap things up and we'll certainly point people in the direction of your books and uh, things. But certainly for the, that last question uh, about um, where um, things are going when it comes to Kickstarter and also developing the audience as well. Uh, I mean, what, what, what was the challenges of getting an audience to your books and uh, developing the audience that would then support you on Kickstarter? What, what do you feel was the biggest challenge in that? Um, it's finding people. It's finding yeah. people. You, you've got to be... You've got to be genuine when you go out looking for an audience. Um, so the best thing to do is that you approach other comic creators and they will be your biggest advocates because they see they have been you. And especially the indie scene in the UK has been incredible. Um, they are the absolute best people. They've been lovely and supportive and they followed me when I had no work to share. And they retweeted, you know, when I launched the Kickstarter for the Grave, even though I barely knew them, I might have met a few of them at conventions or whatever. You know, they were straight on to sharing the book and talking about it. But the only reason they did that was because I care about their stuff just as much as I hope they cared about mine. Um, I didn't go in with an attitude of, you're going to help me. I went with an attitude of, I want to be part of your scene. You know, and I want to do this thing that you guys are all doing because <laughs> some, of them, some of these guys are absolutely amazing. You know, and I, I'm personally glad they're not in the big two comics because I think they're making much more interesting work outside of it than mm. they ever would in a mainstream. Um, so that that's my first thing was that you know go and reach out openly and genuinely to other creators who will want you to do well because you want them to, and then for the rest of it, it's you know take advantage of your friends absolutely you know <laughs> um, you know pull them into it you know get them on a mailing list. I mean my my email list, which isn't massive, but it's pretty good, and a lot of it was built up with my friends at first. And then, you know, I think probably just out of exhaustion of me constantly talking about the comic, <laughs> it starts out like, look, I'll tell about 10 other people about you. Will you leave me alone now? Um, and that helped. That helped. But you, you find stuff in Kickstarter is, um, you know, it's, it's a genuine audience maximizer. Absolutely. Um, if you can put out something that looks appealing, if you really focus on getting a brilliant lead image and you get some good people on board to help share the, the word about your story, Kickstarter will find you an audience. Um, yeah. It did for me. I mean, when I look at my list of the backers of my first project, I only knew about 30 of them. Um, and then on, on Prosperity, when I launched that, I'll, those 30 were still there, but everybody else was completely different. <laughs> You're like, I didn't know half of them. You know, so I had some returning backers. Um, 
and, and that's just how you have to keep working is, you know, it's, you build your name through, through good products and by being accessible and being interesting. Um, and interesting is obviously very, you know, very subjective. <laughs> subjective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but um, if you've got something to say for yourself and you've got a book you want to talk about and you make sure the book is the best thing you can be talking about, and then you talk about others' work and you boost their work too. It's not easy and it takes time. And I mean, I'm still trying to build this. And, you know, Wild Nature is a, is a big ambitious thing for me. And I really hope I can build enough of an audience that it kind of lifts me to an, a next level, such as it is. Yeah. Um, but you've got to be patient and you've just got to accept that it will come at the right moment. You know, and if you're doing all the hard work, that'll, that'll work for you. Fair enough. Uh, in terms then of getting an audience to you, and we want to try and get our audience to have a look at your uh, work, uh, where is the best place for people to find? Because, um, I mean, I've got a URL, which uh, I can gladly put up on the, the screen, but this is for uh, the, the first issue, uh, which, like I said, we've had uh, the, uh, sort of pages uh, up of this. Uh, this is the third issue up on screen, but uh, certainly for Wild Nature Part 1, where's the best place for people to discover more about you and what you do? Uh, the the first little bit of that web address will take you to my <laughs> website, and you can get to uh, you can read you can read the entirety of the first horror story for free on there. Um, you can get links to my other stuff and to my web store. So if you want to go and buy things and give me more money, that would make me really happy right now. Um, in terms of if you want to just keep in touch, I'm on Twitter at df taylor comics, and I'm on Instagram at mr david f taylor. Um, and if you want to kind of go and see my random scribblings, they tend to go up there. Um, but really any of those places, if you go to my website, you'll see all my work as up to date as I can. That's where I'll, where I'll publish Wild Nature. But Twitter is where I, I update the most. And you'll see me rambling on about a great many things at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, there's plenty to talk about, isn't there? <laughs> Safe to say. Safe to say. Yes. Well, listen, uh, I mean, I, I'm going to be following along with uh, Wild Nature. I certainly want to try and uh, get more people in the, your direction. So that's dftaylor.art. Do go check it out. David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, sir. And you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. For, I mean, I hope to get you back on uh, the next time you get a, another book uh, lined up and ready to go. Um, we can yeah. gladly help uh, spread the word. That'd be fantastic. Thank you very much. It's been fun. No worries. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much indeed, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Take, Take care. So there you go. David Taylor, do go check out his work. Uh, it's very much worthwhile. Um, certainly the stuff that he's done in the past, I mean, you can definitely see an evolution to uh, his writing and his, uh, his artwork that he's doing. But no, excellent stuff, and especially the new books, fantastic stuff indeed. Right, um, before I bring on my next guest, I'm very, very quickly uh, going to talk about um, something that I kind of blurted out uh, a couple of uh, podcasts ago, and now I'm going to have to follow through. Uh, someone was asking if we were going to be doing something special for San Diego Comic-Con week. Um, well, as it happens, uh, yes, we are. Um, I turned around and said, maybe I'll do um, a podcast a day uh, throughout the course of what would have been San Diego Comic-Con week, and then take a month off, because we've been doing this two episodes a week. Who knows? Or maybe just keep going. I, I was spitballing. At which point, um, it's now come out that, yes, perhaps I will do five or six uh, interviews back-to-back -back, uh, over the course of all five days of San Diego Comic-Con. I'm going to be shattered. But you know what? It's going to be worth it. It's going to be absolute. It's going to be fun, uh, if anything, because I'm really curious to see um, the, the guests that we're going to have on. Um, and considering that we actually have already our first confirmed uh, guest for uh, the show of for the uh, that, that run of shows throughout what would have been San Diego Comic Con 2020. In other words, I, I can confirm that our first confirmed spotlight guest 
is going to be actor Todd Stashwick. Um, looking forward to talking to him. He's a great actor. Um, he's also just a great conversationist as well. Obviously very uh, big in the uh, D&D and um, the online um, gaming community at the moment. But he's just a fantastic bloke. Uh, I managed. To, how on earth I've managed to get him to come back on, considering that when I last spoke to him was outside D23 in Anaheim, in board shorts, holding my phone up with my hand, and that's how I did the hangout. How on earth he agreed to have this Brit, and then just he's going to come back on and do the uh, uh, the show with us. Uh, but yeah, we are going to be doing something through Comic Con Week. Uh, looking forward to having uh, Todd Stashwick joining us for that. So there we go. Right, we're running a little bit late. Let's get straight into it. Our second guest, really looking forward to uh, talking to Louise Saul. Hello, Louise. How are Hello. you? Hello. <laughs> now then, um, now, if you are somebody that follows uh, cosplay online or if you've just followed someone who follows pop, pop culture online, especially on, uh, on Facebook and Twitter, you know Louise's work because uh, she's somebody who uh, is very uh, um, passionate about um, the things that she follows, uh, especially cosplay. Um, and it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, pleasure to be on. Uh, I mean, I think first, I, mean, I gave you a little bit of an introduction there, but if you want to give everyone your kind of origin story, really, uh, as to um, how you got into your your fandoms, your uh, your your interests. Um, yeah, so I'm a huge Marvel nerd and comic books in general. Um, and the way that I start with the cosplay side of things was um, I got tickets to go and see the Zelda concert live, and um, thought it'd be fun to make something for that. Uh, and then kind of got a bit addicted to it. Um, been doing it for about five years or so now, four five years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also been writing about various bits and pieces on the side as well. Because I, I mean, I I also know you as well as somebody who writes for various sites about your uh, fandoms. You're, uh, I mean, it's the reason why I, I really wanted to get you on the shows because very much like myself, you've kind of taken your fandom, your your interest, and evolved it um, into something else. It's it becomes it's your fandom becomes very rarefied it becomes very and <laughs> you kind of you see it from a slightly different prism i mean how do you feel that your uh, your your fandoms have changed uh, since you kind of started writing about them and becoming more of a, a commentator rather than just an observer um i think it's actually helped with the cosplay side of things when i've been doing interviews and bits and pieces at conventions um because you find that quite a lot of the creators or even sort of the movie and the tv stars quite like it if you're dressed as one of their characters and they open up a bit more sometimes they can be quite closed off with journalists and um, I've definitely found before that they'll either come and look at my work and see what I've done before or if they're definitely when I'm in character well in costume should I say not in character and um, they do seem to open up a little bit more in terms of the questions well you would said something there I might as well just clarify it because uh, I mean there are cosplayers that go all in and they are the character when they get uh, in, in their, uh, their their outfit you say you're in costume rather than in, in character. Is that you feel uh, the, the approach that is best for you? It depends on what I'm doing and where I'm uh, where I'm doing it. So, for instance, when I dress as Captain Marvel, I'll do um, sort of a lot of event charity events, or um, there'll be a lot of kids around, so you're constantly in character and tending to be that person. But uh, if I'm interviewing somebody then I'm not going to potentially be Carol Danvers while I'm interviewing that person. It'll be me just in my costume whilst I'm interviewing them because that would be a very strange experience. 
I don't know. I think uh, Carol Danvers in- interviewing somebody, if you if you've really followed it through, I think that'd be rather interesting, rather cool. Um, you say you do charity work, but obviously I've seen you at a number of uh, conventions, and um, that's somewhere which is a great canvas for a cosplayer to uh, to express what they're doing. Um, but that's something that's been kind of stolen from us uh, this year. Um, I, I, I asked this question uh, of a, a guest uh, a couple of podcasts ago, and I think it's a bit of a foregone conclusion when it comes to the answer, but just how hard has the cosplay community been hit by the lack of conventions this year? I think they've been hit especially hard because, well, everyone that, conventions were a thing for them regularly has been hit hard because of the social side of things um but especially in terms of the cosplay community it that was when people would feel that that one time of the year or more than one time a year where they go to conventions and they'd be dressing as their favorite characters and they could feel themselves or express themselves as these characters and now they've not got anywhere where they can do that um especially sort of when you've got sort of cross players and gender bend cosplays where you've got the um, male dressing as female and female dressing as male characters and they feel that they'll feel more comfortable when they're at the conventions and around their friends but they've not necessarily got a place to do that anymore but I think we're all in the same situation with regards to everybody's at home um, and uh, we can't go out but yeah the social side of things definitely has been difficult for a lot of people yeah uh, I mean I'm really curious because uh, it's something I've, I mean I've been trying to keep up with uh, the various fandoms and the various factions of fandoms and cosplay in particular because um, it is a very passionate and it's very vocal uh, people really do kind of um, uh, dive into um, for better or for worse uh, to uh, how people have uh, approached their character or whatever. Um, because there's been no conventions, every, that conversation has really gone back online uh, and uh, all the various uh, right, Reddit groups, Facebook groups, wherever, um, that conversation has really kind of, uh, uh, kind of snowballed uh, throughout the course of the pandemic. Have you seen, how have you seen the, uh, the, the various um, uh, groups um, adjust to uh, how the pandemic has affected and this kind of the, the conversation back online? Um, I think the online conversations have been fairly good, fairly positive. A lot of people are doing what they can with either what they've got at home or um, doing things like makeup tests for various characters or what you call closet cosplays. Because um, obviously it's been very hard for, for people like myself that make things to get materials that all the shops have been closed or even online things, um, the deliveries for everything all over has been all over the place. Um, so, yeah, you're struggling to make content, but um, coming up with new and inventive ways to, to do things um to keep the content going and also like you say chatting online with people um i think the online side of things is definitely a big positive because it's always been quite an online thing but now people are going onto facebook and twitter and instagram and stuff and making sure they can be more social doing sort of you, you know your zoom chats and things like that or your facebook groups and things um can, has been helping a lot of people i know for a for a fact that a lot of me and my friends have been sort of online pub quizzes and things like that to try and keep socializing I'm really curious as well about, I mean, there was going to be something I was going to uh, ask about and you kind of segued into it nicely yourself. I mean, the whole idea of uh, br- bringing um, uh, items together to actually make your um, uh, cosplay. I mean, a, a number of co- uh, cosplayers I've seen uh, when they print their own um, 
materials, uh, pads, shoulder pads, chest plates, plates, whatever. Um, but for the vast majority of cosplayers that don't perhaps have those materials to hand, they have, um, they do rely on getting materials from shops out and about. At which point that kind of stream is being run a bit dry with the, the lockdown. Um, have you seen a lot of improvise, adapt and overcome over the course of the last two months? Oh yeah, definitely. I say there's all sorts of characters out there and especially when it's something that I do when I do my panels and things at conventions about cosplay on a budget. Closet cosplay is, is a huge thing. Um, characters like Jessica Jones, for instance, is just sort of jeans, t-shirt and uh, a jacket or um, one that I did recently was sort of the 90s Captain Marvel, which is just her T-shirt, a cap and a jacket, things like that. You can put together things from your own wardrobe that are really simple um, and that they're really cheap to do. Or like I say, a lot of people I've seen doing various makeup tests of various characters. They've got sort of leftover face paint or things. They'll be doing things like Mystique or Gamora or things like that if they can. Um, yeah, you definitely have to be a lot more resourceful. Um, I've definitely struggled in terms of getting the materials and things that I need to make projects, but been trying to do sort of closet stuff or bringing out old content and things. Yeah, uh, I, I've been really inspired as well because uh, I wish I could have had a couple of them uh, up on screen to demonstrate them, but I'm sure you've seen them as well. The um, the swipe uh, cosplay. Uh, video, oh yeah, the uh, brush challenges. The, the, yeah, the, the brush challenges. Uh, I mean, that kind of happened uh, for a couple of weeks and then went away. It's a shame that those haven't carried on going. Uh, I mean, what was what was the general reaction of the the, the community towards those? Um, yeah, I think there's still a couple of them ongoing. Um, but there's only so many sort of fandoms and things you can do the videos sure. of, and um, it has expanded it's also, now. It's also when the professionals take over as well. When you start yeah. seeing like professional stunt actors doing them and uh, Hollywood um, uh, art makeup artists doing them, at which point people can be a little bit intimidated, I suspect. Yeah, there was one that was recently, um, that was the fighting challenge I think you were talking about, where they had loads of, sort of stunt doubles and female martial artists and Hollywood actresses and stuff putting in together in a video and I think that came around after the the makeup brush things had started um but I think the whole thing kind of started over like you say what can you do and you've got the stuff you've got at home transformation of there's always the in and out of cosplay stuff and seeing the transformation between what the cosplayer looks like and what they look like in costume like this at the moment this is me with no makeup no cosplay or anything but then you'll see me with all completely made up with this blonde wig and all sorts of makeup all over the place that people can look completely different in and out of costume. Um, anybody who is watching, if you do have any questions about cosplay, but also about fandoms in general, because we're also going to get on to the other <laughs> things that uh, Louise is interested in as well. But uh, Into the Blue, Mr. has um, put a question, um, a comment in. Been going to cons for 35 years, never cosplayed, decided this year to try it, spent months getting a complete Rocketeer costume together, including Rocket Pack, and then COVID hit. Bloody, bloody typical. You're not the only person who said that. Mm -hmm. I've seen that story before. Uh, there's several of them uh, that uh, have been uh, saying that, that they've really wanted to get that uh, motivation to do something, and then the, the summer hit and uh, the world just turned upside down. Um, when I've been speaking to other guests as well, it's been a real 50-50 split between uh, people who have been looking back at um, uh, older material, not only of their own, but also just things on the shelf instead of, um, almost like looking at the old Friends episodes. You know, it's kind of like the the the, the safe net of uh, of content um, on the shelf. 
or the other side of the coin is just trying to take on everything new to kind of keep uh, the motivation of a forward momentum. What's it been for yourself? What have you been uh, enjoying and reading over the course of the, the pandemic? Um, I've not really had that much chance to read stuff because um, my day job, I work in drug development. So we've been incredibly rammed and I've been really, really tired when I've been getting home from work. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm getting quite behind on my comics at the moment. Um, I think what was the last thing I actually read? I've been going through yeah old, older comics that I've got on my shelves and got collections of things. Um, some of the the writing that I've been doing for Screen Rant is because we've had not, not had any content for new comics for a while. Has been specifically going over old issues of things and picking up daft storylines. Like there was um one of the um runs of Captain Marvel from I think it was the is it 2004 run um where she uh, punches a dinosaur and kills a dinosaur, sort of stuff things like that. It's not, oh, it wasn't uh, Kelly Sue. Um, oh, oh, I want to say Trio, no, it's Triona. Yeah, I think I know the run you're on about. I'm trying to remember mm. the creative team. But yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. Okay. Um, you, you Again, you've managed to help me out with my own segue. Thank you very much indeed for that. About the fact that you also, yeah, like I say, you, you do write about fandoms and comics and um, other uh, interests of yours for Screen Rant. Um, and I brought this up with... Uh, um, Mike Avelia and uh, Russ Berlingame uh, from comicbook.com uh, a couple of shows ago about that whole idea of trying to create content when there is no content out there. Um, how's that been for yourself in terms of um, trying to motivate yourself to write at this point when there is a, 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 when everything's just kind of like come to a pause? Uh, it is difficult. Um, you definitely seen, especially when there's sort of no news or no new comics or things like in the entire creative industry, film, TV, everything, it's kind of ground to a halt. So it's difficult for across the board for people to write things. But that's when you're saying about when you're going back through old issues or going back through old TV shows and things like that, that people are writing about and sort of going back in time with things. Um, but yeah, in terms of brand new content, things have started filtering through now, but it was very quiet for a good couple of months. And yeah, it was good fun digging out some of the old issues and trying to find daft things to write about. What favourite uh, highlight of things that you found? Um, was it, there was one of the issues oh, come that... On, come on, pimp, pimp your posts now, sir. Pimp the material you've written. Your favourite post that you've put out for the last couple of months? Um, in terms of actually one of my favourite posts, I put together a post about all the funding that was available for around comic book stores around the world. Um obviously it started in america but there wasn't much over here and in in, in europe and then there, there was a couple of things in canada and then in australia sort of kicked off but there was still not much over here and um, so i put together a piece of all the different funding that was available around the world for different shops and um, where people could apply to things and um, so i was quite proud of that because obviously that was helping out the community with resources that they might not necessarily have known was available okay uh, I mean, uh, I, I seem to remember that as well, the, the, like I say, the various efforts over on this side of the pond. I mean, we had creatives of comics uh, in the US. In the UK, uh, I mean, it was also various um, ways of getting comics to readers. And mm. there were several efforts which kind of just stalled at the post. Um, why do you think that was? Why do you think there was this real resistance 
to different ideas other than the standard um, diamond uh, direct um, distribution model. Uh, because uh, I know that Big Bang Comics tried to do something. There was just the, it just seems that um, there's been a real sense of st uh, stagnant energy at the moment. I don't know what your thoughts on that, Rose. Um, there's been a lot of controversy with Diamond at the moment with their distribution and the fact that DC were going to be going elsewhere and things, but it didn't seem to be affecting from the retailers I've spoken to over here uh, at the time. This was about a month ago. They were none of them had a clue what was going on. Um, yeah. So I think that's kind of what stalled a lot of things is there was a lot of confusion. Um, but there's there's been a lot of sort of help in terms of from the government with the sort of furlough schemes and things like that and the funding available that comic book shops were bundled all into that to, to help them out. But yeah, I think with with Diamond doing what they were doing, it was a lot of confusion over what's going on. Whereabouts in the UK are you based? I'm currently based in Harrogate, so where Thought Bubble is. Ah, well, there you go then. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, the question I was going to ask is about your local uh, comic book shops. And I mean, the, the general consensus is that we are going to see some casualties uh, when it comes to uh, the other side of this, that whole two-month period of uh, not being able to sell books is it's going to hit a lot of the, the smaller stores uh, i know there's uh, a couple of really good shops in harrogate uh, but um do you feel is there any shops nearby that um have uh, struggled uh, in your neck of the woods um i think all the, the shops that sort of the independent ones are struggling um but i mean you've got um destination venus in um Harrogate, and then you've got OK Comics in Leeds. They're the two that's sort of the main ones that I go to. Um, then you've got the the bigger chains. But, yeah, there's I think a lot of them are going to be struggling because they still can't open, obviously, for another couple of weeks. But I know Reggie's been doing everything he can, and the fans have been – the reader's been very good in terms of buying vouchers to keep the places going and um, to make sure that they get in their weekly comics. And he's been going around doing deliveries or getting sort of trade paperbacks and things ordered from various shops to be able to try and keep them surviving. But yeah, they're obviously they're really struggling, but hopefully it won't be too much longer. Yeah, well, hopefully there'll be some form of uh, normality, um, some kind of uh, light at the end of the tunnel very soon. Um, I think also, if you, we can't talk about you being in Harrogate without bringing up uh, Thought Bubble and mm -hmm. uh, the convention uh, landscape at the moment, because I do know that the, the home of Thought Bubble, uh, well, certainly from last year, was the Harrogate Convention Center, which mm. has been um, a Nightingale hospital uh, throughout the course of the pandemic, um, as somebody local, what's the? Do you know the current state of affairs with that particular building? Um, so it's currently still a hospital, but yeah. I don't think they've actually had to use it. Um, similar to I think in Birmingham they have one there, but I'm not sure if that's actually had to be used. The one in London was definitely used quite a bit, um, but at the moment Yorkshire is kind of becoming one of the hubs at the moment. So yeah. who knows what will happen? Um, Harrogate's getting a, a little bit worse than it was um but by the time hopefully by the time thought bubble comes around things should be back to normal as much as normal can be um but yeah well, at the moment that's still a hospital let's, let's ask your, your your thoughts on it then because uh certainly as an international comic art festival um it is going to be reliant on a large number of international guests uh, to kind of be that uh, appeal. The organization has been incredibly bullish and very uh, optimistic, constantly uh, putting uh, guest profiles up onto the onto their sites and on social media. What do you feel could be the uh, the shape of Thought Bubble uh, for 2020? 
So um, I'm actually a biochemist in my day job, so I know oh, quite a lot about okay. sort of, um, like saying, working job development. So my thoughts on the science of the, things. This is where the interview goes on for at least another half hour. This, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so it, it all depends on what happens because with it being a new virus, you can only see what's happening in the rest of the world. But it all depends on when this second wave hits. Then there will be a second wave, but whether it's going to be worse or basically peter out like um, SARS had a second wave, but it was barely in existence, barely affected anybody. Um, when the thought bubble being in November, it, it's going to hit that period of time where it's going to be flu season. So things will maybe be a bit worse, um, but we don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. I imagine if football does have to get cancelled, it'll do some kind of online thing. Uh, I know that the LakesCon is doing some kind of online thing. Um, and I'm not sure about other conventions. I think New York Comic Con then has not been, well, and that's what's going to happen have, with that yet. And that's in October. So. Yeah, indeed. But um, uh, I mean, I, I, that's interesting. That's been an interesting question because uh, we're talking about New York Comic Con here on the show. Um, yes, the conversation has been about uh, the pandemic and about uh, the use of the Javits Center and uh, New York being this uh, very big hotspot for the uh, for COVID nineteen, but safe to say the conversation has shifted over the course of the last week. So now it's it's talking about something else. It's just um, it, it, I'm waiting for the conversation to pick back up and the focus to come back to New York Comic Con so we can see what uh, Reed Popper got planned. But who knows? Uh, I mean, you're, I think you're right. I think uh, it's. A little too early to say where we are in November, but um, fingers crossed that uh, the, the the organisation at Thor Middle have uh, got uh, plans in hand. Let's wrap things up then with a little bit more positivity. Uh, let's uh, talk about some um, things that you are looking forward to uh, as the, uh, the uh, we come back to the new normal and uh, things start, the content starts coming back down the pipe. Uh, what's what is kind of uh, tickling your fancy? What is kind of catching your eye uh, coming down the line? Um, it's all a bit up in the air what's coming and what is um, tickling fans. Like I say, it's, normally this would be convention season where I'd be going and picking up sort of loads of new indie comics or anything. So wasn't it, wasn't it New Wasn't it would have been MCM London last weekend? I think it would, it would have, have been. been yeah. yeah, yeah. And then obviously Glasgow Comic Con would have been in July. Um, so in terms of things to look forward to, not much at the moment, sadly, until <laughs> things get back to normality. Um. But just keep plodding away at my writing and making stuff in the background. Um, I'm right waiting for materials for. I um, don't know if people have seen it. That um, absolutely love the Mandalorian um, TV show. Um, so I'm making a Cara Dune costume, which is going to take quite a while. Waiting for bits and pieces for that. Um, so looking forward to that. And um, I only live sort of 10, 20 minutes drive from quite a lot of beautiful places. So when things sort of get back to normality, going going out in the fresh air and enjoying that. Uh, that sort of thing, really. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Uh, I mean, where can people find? I mean, I don't want to wrap this up just yet because I'm enjoy I'm enjoying talking to you. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, where have um, where do you where do you find your home to be for uh, for cosplay? I mean, I like I say, I, I follow a number of uh, locations and groups. Uh, Reddit is one I check out a lot. Uh, a couple of Facebook groups as well. Um, a couple of really good um, Twitter accounts as well, uh, which I follow. Where do you find is your when it comes to sharing your cosplay 
Um, I avoid Reddit like the plague because it's full of trolls. Um, I never really go on anything like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, Instagram's full of a lot of great inspiration. Also, you can follow the hashtags and bits and pieces. And um, my Instagram account is pretty much just purely cosplay. Um, it doesn't really got much else on it in terms of what I follow. So it's quite nice that you can have something like that where you can just follow creators and things that you like to see. Um, whereas Facebook is um, a bit of a minefield in terms of because of the way that they've stopped people seeing page, pages and things and seeing posts, it's a lot more difficult to um, find that content on Facebook now. Um, so quite a lot of the cosplay stuff I'll look on Instagram and places like that. You see, this is me showing my age. I don't know why, but there's this black spot when it comes to Instagram. I just kind of, I drift past it. I just don't look at Instagram at all. Do you do TikTok? No. There you go. Okay, fair enough. Show my age there. Yeah. Uh, I debated doing it for a while, but um, it having just an Instagram account and Twitter and Facebook's enough for me. I uh, doing all these these daft videos. It's great for some people. Really enjoy it, um, but that's too much effort. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, when it comes to just, like I say, the various following the various elements. I mean, it's interesting you're saying about the uh, like the trolls that are on Reddit. Um, it's it, I, I find that in most elements, however, and um, and most platforms, you you see them left, right, and centre. But um, something that I've noticed throughout the course of the pandemic is that um, while the conversation has really shifted online, the moderation has gotten a lot stronger. There's almost a, a real tight, the community's gotten a little bit guarded and a lot tighter and a lot more controlled. Is, is that something that you've spotted or something you think? Um, I wouldn't say so. I mean, people have got a lot more time to be online. Um, sure. I think that's so, what brought that up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so that the people in, that can defend others are, are going to be going through the comments and moderating a lot more but yeah. in terms of the actual sites themselves they don't really care about things like that um yeah because obviously been been subject to a lot of trolls myself unless yeah. they're you're literally being sent death threats or something like that these social media sites won't do anything fair enough um well okay i was gonna try and end on a bit of a positive note but now you're, <laughs> Sorry, you're, 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 you're absolutely right it's something that you it's the the reality of uh um, having your fandoms online. And I think that's uh, where we are at the moment. Uh, we got a couple of comments. Uh, Samir Hamid, uh, I really hope t uh, TB happens. It's my favorite, favorite thing mm. every year. I mean, I was particularly vocal about how I thought Harrogate would go uh, last year, uh, a, a number of episodes. I was really doubtful about how the Harrogate um, um, area would deal with uh, the... the the, um, the the show showing up and also it ain't a cheap neck of the woods let's yeah. let's be fair um so independent creators i was uh, thinking okay they've sold their comics and then they're going to blow all their profits on a pint in one of the bars uh, nearby but um i mean it, it certainly proved me wrong thoughtful um has not just possibly become one of the biggest uh, comic book conventions uh, comic related conventions in the uk it is that particular um, uh, uh, that highlight of the year. Um, one thing that I didn't see too much of at Thought Bubble was cosplay. Uh, do you think? Uh, I mean, I know there was a dedicated room and a, uh, a competition, but you really had to look for it. If you know what I mean, it was kind of like away from the, the main building. Um, do you think it's something that they could develop more um, next year or this year? Yeah, I think um, 
cosplay at Thought Ball is something that's always kind of been a small part of it. But I know that they are trying to develop it and make it a bigger thing. Like it was in the Royal Hall last year and it depends on what they're going to do with that in terms of the competition and bringing it forward. But um, I guess different people cosplay for different reasons. Um, and I cosplay the characters from comic books because I love those characters, love being those characters. So if it's a pure comic convention, that I don't care. I, you'll you'll see me in the cosplay anyway. But I think that side of things, taking it away from somewhere like an MCM where it's all about you know people going off, showing off their costumes, going outside and taking photos and things, you tend to find at the ones that are just purely about comics, and the cosplay is a smaller part of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we've got a couple of comments, and then we'll uh, kind of uh, tell you. We'll give you the opportunity to pimp your wares and tell where people. <laughs> And go and check out what you do, uh, Dan Barry. The new thing is the wipe away cosplay transformation stuff. I one I saw recently was Phoenix to Dark Phoenix. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. That that sounds interesting. Uh, David Taylor from earlier. It was a delight joining the chat. Uh, love hearing about the cosplay too. And yeah, I've got a cavalcade of beautiful comics on the corner. Uh, and also, um, I don't know how you're going to take this one. Sarita P um, has said hello, and um, you look like Bjork. So there you go. I've well, not I, had that one before. <laughs> I'd take that. I'd take that. There we go. And also, before we do uh, kind of uh, give you the uh, the floor to uh, tell people where to go and check things out that you've done, um, I just wanted to wish you happy birthday for yesterday. Thank you. It, yeah, I, I was going to do it at the, the beginning. I completely forgot. I just wanted to <laughs> Louise, happy birthday to you uh, for yesterday. How how was your uh, lockdown birthday? Um. Yeah, it's as, as good as a lockdown birthday can be, really. Um, having lots of drinks at home and had a takeaway from my favourite restaurant. Um, it's unusual to not be in the pub, um, but yeah. That's the video clip right there. It's not unusual to be in the pub. Oh, it's unusual to not be in the pub. There you go. That, <laughs> yeah. That's just going to go on loop now. So there you go. And indeed, <laughs> the, uh, there you go. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Excellent stuff. Um, right, so the floor's yours. Um, where can people find you online, what you do online, and uh, certainly the uh, the screen run stuff? What, where can people find you? Um, so my cosplay stuff is Tiny Tigress Cosplay on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then my Twitter handle is IkeySaul, A-I-K-I, and then S-A-U-L, because um, I created that account before I started cosplaying, and that's where I have most of my writing stuff. Um yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I tend to share a lot of my articles on Twitter or on – I have a Facebook page, actually, for my writing that's under my name, Louise Saul. Um, but most of it you can find on Twitter. Excellent stuff. That's Saul, S-A-U-L, because uh, Louise, Louise hasn't put the uh, the full name up there, but you can find – Oh, yeah, sorry. Like, <laughs> it's say, the first time I've done anything like this. <laughs> don't worry about it. Tiny Tigress cosplay as well. Uh, certainly check out uh, what she's done. Uh, I am going to be resharing this video when we finish with the um, the Captain Marvel picture I took of you at because uh, <laughs> uh, it's one of my favourite uh, cosplay. But I – it's the missus that always takes cosplay pictures because I'm I'm my attention spans like a gnat. I'm I'm all over the place, so it's always Caroline that can actually just go. Okay, I'm going to take pictures of cosplayers for the next half an hour, hour, and uh, she's the one that takes but that picture of you. There you go. That's one of my uh, <laughs> one of my, my my pride and joy when it comes to the cosplay pictures I took. So that reminds me of a panel you did actually. It was um, the MC MCM whatever it was a couple of years ago when Chris Claremont came over. Well, I mean. Good. You know what? I'm, I I never actually really pinned you down and asked you what you thought of that because the <laughs> thing about the, the, well the thing about that panel was um it was clear and certainly to me for the final uh, so like twenty minutes of it 
that nobody was in the room for us, for everybody. Mm. I mean, we had, I mean, if you have a look at my banner on Twitter, you'll see who it was. It was Chris Claremont. It was John Romita Jr. It was, I mean, it was a, a cavalcade. Great lineup, yeah. Great, great and good of X-Men. And everybody was in there for the next panel, which was uh, online D&Ders. Um, it, it, was, it was just, I think it was my missus, you, maybe somebody else in the room, and everyone else was just like... Pretty much, yeah. When, when can you leave so we can talk about D&D now? <laughs> fine. But if you thought it was a good panel... Yeah, I, it was a good panel, yeah. I'm happy with that. That's fine. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, Louise, thank you very much indeed for your company. Hopefully for your first StreamYard effort, uh, it was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's good, yeah. Excellent stuff. And, um, yeah, I'd like to get you back on maybe later on in the year, certainly when we get the cosplay, uh, sorry, the, the convention season back up and running, because I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on how um, the new normal is going to look for uh, conventions, because I think we're going to see a lot of changes mm. in the way that conventions have to operate uh, in the new normal. Yeah, for sure, that'd be good. Excellent stuff. Michael P., last final comment. I cosplay last year for the first time, too, and it was great. I have yet to cosplay. The missus keeps wanting me. Do it. She no, she keeps wanting me to get into a Chewbacca outfit. Um, she wants to do Han Solo. I, she wants me in the Chewbacca outfit, and she wants to do it at San Diego. It's bloody hot out there, man, and I'll be in a full <laughs> outfit. It's just, I, no, I don't know how I stand that, but who knows? Who knows? There we go. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Louise, it's been an absolute pleasure. Good chatting to you. Take care. See Bye. You Bye. Excellent. So there you go. That was uh, Louise Saul. Do check her out. Tiny Tigress Cosplay is what you're searching for uh, when you're looking for her stuff. But certainly um, uh, just, you'll find her online if you search for Louise Saul, S-A-U-L. There you go. That's, that's what you're looking for. So that's me. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, let's very quickly uh, remind you of the guests that we've got uh, coming up uh, over the course of the rest of the month, uh, because my word, have we got ourselves some great guests coming up. Um, the next show uh, on Sunday, uh, we've got Fred Van Lente joining us, um, who I'm, I'm wanting to get Fred and Tina on at the same time. Because having those two together, it's just going to be so much fun. Um, Tina Gann, of course, if you've been a long-time viewer of the show, you've seen her on the show before. Um, she's just an amazing uh, person to talk to. She uh, sat with me when she came over for uh, London um, Star Wars Celebration in London uh, when we had that uh, gatecrasher uh, who played Darth Maul. Um, name escaped me for a second, but you know who I'm on about. Uh, she was right there. He, she was a fan of his as well, so it turned into a little bit of a uh, gush fest. Great, great. Uh, she's just fantastic. Tina Gunn, good to have her back, but also uh, it's going to be interesting considering that she's from Singapore, so she'll certainly have her perspective. Um, if you follow her on Twitter, you'll know that she's very vocal about the way that uh, the pandemic has been handled uh, in that neck of the woods, and also how the convention season and how everything will evolve um, she's going to be a great conversation to talk to. And Fred Van Lente is going to have lots to talk about as well. Going to be a great show. 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. Fred Van Lente and Tina Gann. That's this Sunday. Then on uh, Wednesday <laughs> next week, we have ourselves uh, a double header, which I really can't wait for. Uh, yeah, Ray Park. That's exactly what it was. Thank you very much indeed. Into the Blue Mister. That was one of my favorite episodes when we had Ray Park just photobomb our uh, podcast and just sort of like just jump in that was a good chat was that no next week alex pacnadel 
and Declan Shalvey. Now, Alex is uh, a writer of some incredible comics, uh, mostly for Boom. Um, he's also doing stuff for Vault Comics at the moment, and he's somebody who I feel is very much the uh, the next wave of brilliant British creators. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to him, but also we're going to have um, artist wonder kind, uh, Declan Shalvey as well. The two know each other really well, so it's going to be a great way to just get them on and just shoot the shit for an hour. Going to be a great chat to them. We do have some people that are kind of tentative. I haven't put them on the the list for yet for the uh, the middle weeks of June, but uh, we hopefully will be announcing them pretty soon, including a possible uh, cross pollination with another convention podcast. Maybe a little bit of a uh, a thing where we just kind of uh, spread uh, share to each other's stream. More information on that. It's going to be a slightly ambitious one, that. More on the way. And hopefully we're going to get Rachel Hine on as well, but we're waiting on getting her back, finding out when um, her timetable's free on that one. And But the one that's definite, end of the month, uh, Sunday the 28th of June, Russ Burlingame and Mike Avelia uh, is going to be the return. Like I said uh, before, I don't think I can ever announce that it's going to be something that we can do every single month, but if I could, I'd be very happy to have Russ Burlingame from uh, comicbook.com and Mike Avelia from uh, Sci-Fi Wire back for another session. Really looking forward to it. That has been our show. Do take care. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Once again, if you are in the States, please stay safe. If you feel you need to protest, do it. Voices need to be heard. But please stay safe while you're doing it. Um, at this point, there is a pressure. There's a war on between um, those that want their voices to be heard and those that want to stifle those voices. So please stay safe. For myself, Leonard, do take care. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And hopefully for the next couple of days, we're going to be doing some special shows, some incidental episodes, where I'm going to showcase some black creators who I feel deserve a bit of a spotlight. They're not going to be main names. They're going to be people that I've found online that deserve um, a spotlight shining on. It's going to be my way of giving back to the community. It's, I know that it feels a little bit like the, 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 the barest minimum, but it's some way that I can hopefully give back to the community. Do take care, stay safe, um, wash your hands, and hopefully we'll see you on the other side. Take care.